0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans 14, verses 13 to 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So glad you are joined us here at Sojourn for corporate worship. I want to encourage you. A lot of these things that we're going through in the book of Romans are things that are worked out in the midst of community, life together with one another in fellowship and in closeness of walking out daily life. So we want to encourage you to jump into a home group. If you are not in one already, you are invited. Um, find somebody, ask the person next to you what home group you go to. Uh, How can I join you? Find out some information. We'd love to help you get in deeper relationship and community with other uh, brothers and sisters here at Sojourn. It's going to be of vital importance if we're going to live out the truths that the Romans continues to teach us. And as we turn to the end of of chapter 14, let's pray again for the Lord's blessing. Uh, Father, we, we pray that you would capture again our attention and our affection For your people that are here this morning, Father, we just want to say we're listening. And if we're not, would you move us to that posture now? Help us, we pray. It's in Christ's name. Amen. In in the city of St. Louis, there's an art museum. It's actually free to attend. And I've been in this museum and have walked around these places and I was struck by one, I'm not. Uh, don't know a ton about art. Not an art critic by any stretch of the imagination. But I was struck by one, and it was one that's famous, known. It was by Monet, and it was at least part of. There's like three panels, I hear, of his massive painting, Water Lilies. And and one of the things that was struck me about that, not just the size of it, but the beauty of it, and that it was it was touched by someone that was so gifted that has done so many famous works. And what did I notice in there? Again, with my small art brain that I'm working to develop, right? Like, what I noticed in there was, was just the, the detail, the, the layers of paint and, and the colors mixed together and how they are layered to, to make this beautiful color and there's complexity in the midst of this as each layer is added. Like, if you get close enough, you can tell, like, different directions, different colors and how they're added in and layered over one another to, to form something really rich and, and really beautiful, Paul, in Romans 14, is writing to a really diverse church. There's a lot of Layers to this thing, like there's there's different backgrounds, there's different uh, upbringings, there's different socioeconomic statuses. I mean, there's all these differences. It's very diverse, and and he's trying to kind of direct all these diversities to to layer them together, that they might be something beautiful, form something beautiful. He he is trying to to make sure that these people that are from all these diverse places are people who walk in love in the midst of all of their differences. So. A different color a different stroke a different direction of how this goes but he's trying to have them layered together in a right way that that they as a people as a people of God a gospel people might be beautiful to the Lord and to the world so how do we do that how do you walk in love in the midst of differences and distinctions and diversities that's what he's getting at and it's a big question It's a big question. You've known this. If you've tried to walk out life with other believers, brothers and sisters, you've known, like, we have some differences and I'm not sure exactly how to navigate through them and walk through them all the time. It's a big question. It's a hard question. And and it would be nice for us and simple for us if there was, like, here is what you do. The the one answer, the one way in the midst of all of our differences and how we walk them out for how do we walk in love in this way? Well, here's the one answer. How, How do we walk in love in this difference? Well, here's the one answer. That would be we think it would be nice, maybe simple, but it's more complex than that. Instead, with the diversity that we have, with the diversity that the church of the living God has, there, there's not just an answer, there, there's layers of answers, right? And that's what Paul does. He, he's going to layer some things together to help, you know, like, yes, there's some complexity in it, but there's some beauty in it as well. So he layers together some answers for how the church, how a diverse church can walk together in love and make a beautiful community to a watching world. And in this text, I can see kind of three layers of how to walk in love here, Um, and it goes like this. Put no stumbling block in front of one another, pursue peace and upbuilding, and proceed from faith. It works within the complexity to have three things that kind of start with the letter P somehow. So put no stumbling block, pursue peace and upbuilding, and proceed from faith. The Roman church is a church that is comprised of both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, And what's included in that, within these backgrounds that they have, are some specific inclinations, certain temptations, certain weaknesses. And one of them within this church that he is addressing here is this weakness or temptation, inclination in some different ways in regards to food. The the Jewish Christians would have come from this tradition, from this background of having dietary restrictions. And those dietary restrictions, given under the old covenant, under the Mosaic law, would have been restrictions that they would have thought of as, hey, like, you keep these restrictions in order to walk out a righteous life before the one true living God. They were part of their righteous living before God. And it was hard for them to, to shift out of that gear. So when Jesus comes, like he, he shook everything, didn't he? And he comes, and when he comes, he, he says all foods are clean. He fulfills fully the Mosaic law, and he sets it aside so that it's no longer binding over Christians in the same way it was in the old covenant. But the Jews and the Jewish Christians, they would have had a hard time with this. Not only a hard time just understanding, but a hard time practically working this out. These, these new gospel realities were hard for them to disentangle from their old practices of living righteously before God. Before it included this, now it doesn't seem like it has to have this. And working those things out would have been hard. They would have had difficulty with that. Think of Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10. You, you remember this vision? He, he has this vision from heaven and coming down from heaven is all these kinds of animals and it says kill and eat. And he says, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. He has to see it three times. He's not quickly convinced that now all foods are clean. It took him some convincing. And the same would have been true, likely, for for many of the Jewish Christians that were in Rome. And what Paul does when he knows that this is going on and part of the diversity of this church, he doesn't come to them and he say, you know what? I told you about righteousness back in chapter 3. Let me, let me tell you about the righteousness from God in chapter 3. Remember verse 21 and 22? It's manifested apart from the law and the prophets. They, they pointed to it, but it's manifested through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So stop it with your weak beliefs and weak views of, of what food is clean and unclean and what food we need to be restricted from or not. Stop that. He knows as he writes So righteousness comes by faith in Jesus alone. It doesn't come through faith in Jesus plus our dietary restrictions, faith in Jesus plus our certain performance and obedience. He knows it's through faith in Jesus alone. So that if one has that faith in Jesus, you can have right standing and you do have right standing with God if you have faith in Him. Even if you have weak views, He knows you can have those weak views and still have faith in Jesus and you can still have right standing with God. If you have faith, you are in right standing with God, you're justified. He knows that righteousness is by faith in Jesus. But he doesn't come and say, you know what? Like You should know this already. I already told you where righteousness comes from. Enough with these food restrictions. He doesn't do that. He says, remember this, church, that there's one true living God, and, and he is Lord of all, and he's also the judge. And each of you is going to bow before him and give an account of himself before this judge and Lord. And so here's what you need to do, verse 13. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. I love that word, the words there, any longer. No longer, he says. You see, he's, he's speaking out of the reality that he talked about in chapter 6, verse 6. We know, Christian, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved To sin. Those who are united to Jesus by faith, those who are in Christ, can say of themselves, my old self was crucified. He is no longer anymore. And I have this new self, this in Christ self. So what I need to do now is I need to let the body of sin, the sinful nature within me, be brought to nothing. Those united to Christ Jesus then can live in the freedom of that blood-bought Righteousness. They are no longer slaves to sin so that they can look at sin now by the power of Christ in them and say no to it. Amen. We can say, I don't have to live in certain things any longer. No longer is what we can say to sin. And passing judgment is one of those things that he says you, as a new self in Christ, should look back on and say no longer. I'm no longer passing judgment. That may have gone on, but as a Christian, I can say no longer to it, that it goes no further. It may have gone far, but it has gone far enough and I will no longer do that thing. You see, when we see one another's differences in community and that inner voice rises within us, when we see someone eating or abstaining or doing something different than us in terms of their conscience and conviction, when we see that going on and that inner voice rises within us, to say something about how we're superior to them, how they have a weak view, how I can't believe that they could do that kind of thing and still be called a Christian, how we think that we're more righteous. When all that is going on with inside us, we can and should say to that voice, no longer. That the old self is crucified. I'm not that anymore. He says, let me not pass judgment on one another Any longer. As those who are under Christ's lordship, we we know that there is one judge and we are not it, that he is the judge and he is the Lord. And so in light of that, who am I, we can ask to pass judgment on another. So we say to that judgment that we would pass no longer. What this doesn't do is it doesn't erase the past. It doesn't mean that we weren't judgmental or critical at times, but it opens up the possibility for us as individuals and for us as a church to be known for more than what we were known for. Because the old self is gone. Now we can be known by something different and be more notorious now. Because we can, in Christ's sake, no longer sin. We can be more notorious for our righteous living now than our past sins. And that's Paul's desire for the church. He doesn't want them to pass judgment any longer. Rather, he says, decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. No longer. And here's a never. Never. Love that. Those are the kinds of words that you can use when you're united to Christ by faith because sin no longer has dominion. You're not under the reign of sin and death anymore. You're under the reign of grace. So you can say no longer and never to sins now. You can walk in the newness of life that Christ has afforded you. And here's what he says never to. Never decide this. Never put a stumbling block in the way of a brother. Now, to kind of grasp who he's directing this to and how he's directing this, we look at verses 14 and 15 to get a bigger picture. He says, "I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died." All right so verse 14 makes clear that what is going on here is, has to do with Old Testament and covenant food laws and food restrictions and so that's why he's talking about abstaining from certain foods or not uh, uh, under the old covenant abstaining from certain foods was a way to live a righteous life before god like there were certain things that god said don't do this it's unclean and he uses those words here that it's unclean because i'm the lord and i'm holy and i want you to be holy and this is what holiness looks like in my people under this covenant that's what he's dealing with here within the roman church and in verse 15 makes clear that Paul here in verses 13 on is directing these exhortations at the strong. And you just read through it and you can figure out the strong position. They are the ones who eat, and he is directing this at those who eat. Now here's what verses 14 and 15 do. They show Paul emphatically, and I think that's the right word, emphatically agreeing with the strong. Verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus. He's being very emphatic there. I know this. It's it's not even a question. It's not in doubt. I know this. He agrees with the strong. There's no question in Paul's mind as to which view is the right view and which view is the stronger view. He, He has a view and he's emphatic about it. There's a stronger understanding of the gospel's implications in one's life than others. And in this case, it is, you can eat, you are free. God declares all foods clean in regard to food and Old Testament laws. Paul has an emphatic agreement with the view of the strong here. But also notice what Paul does. He emphatically agrees with those who don't keep food laws, those who eat, then the stronger view. And he calls others who don't eat the weak. But he gives space for them. He gives space for the difference of conscience and conviction to work its way out. Listen again to what he says in verse 14. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. He just said it's not unclean in and of itself. But if you think it is, then it is. If your brother is grieved, then by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. And Verse 5 he said, one person seems one day is better than another while another seems all days like. Each one should be what? Fully convinced in his own mind. And he leaves room for people to be convinced in their own minds of different things, again, that are not regarding sin. We cast that off. Or salvation. We find our righteousness in Christ. He's already answered those clearly. But for other things, he said, be fully convinced in your own mind. And if it's, you're not fully convinced, then it is unclean and wrong for you. And so he looks at the, the position of the weak and said, though they're deficient in their gospel understanding and its implications in their lives, he, he gives space to them. And he tells the strong, he exhorts the strong. Verse 13, decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Now think about a, a child learning to walk. What you do, and you, you kind of stand them up and you, you want them to take their first steps, you clear the path, Right? Because they don't know that I need to look down at my feet and make sure nothing's there yet. They're just looking at the thing that you're directing them to, right? Mom and dad are on one side maybe or, you know, something else is out there that they want to go after. You, you, you clear the path so that they can walk and not fall down because they're learning. They haven't figured it out yet. So if you add to the path, you're going to make all kinds of problems for a young toddler, right? You, you, could, you could make them fall over and over again. Pretty soon they're not going to want to walk at all. And Paul spells out how the strong might be a stumbling block, right? In verse 15, he says, if your brother's grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. You're, you're being a stumbling block by what you eat. He says two times you could grieve the weak. You could cause them some internal turmoil by the way you live, by your eating. Now, eating of itself, he's already said, it's okay. It's okay. But it's not okay for everyone. Because if you don't think it's okay, then it's not okay for you, is what he said. But eating in and of itself, it's okay. But to put a stumbling block, that's not okay. That's what he says. So the strong are not to put a stumbling block because that's not okay anymore. You could eating of itself, that's okay. But when you put a stumbling block, you've, you've moved into an area that's not. If eating is a stumbling block, if eating grieves, what do we do then? Well, even though it's okay, we, we stop. We don't eat because we don't want to cause a stumbling. So the strong are to decide to never put a stumbling block in the way. Rather, they're to walk in love and that's not a new concept right in chapter 12 verse 9 he says we ought to be this people who have genuine love for one another who outdo one another in showing honor, who love one another with brotherly affection. In, in chapter 13, verse 8, he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. In, in verse 9, he says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are not new concepts, walking in love. But the newness of it is to say, Hey, if you're going to cause a stumbling, you're not walking in love. And so he brings the love idea to bear in an area of difference, an area of distinction, an area where there's different consciences, different convictions, different opinions. And and walking in love is going to look different in different circumstances. And in this one, it looked like not eating if it's put a stumbling block in front of your brother. Notice what's at stake here. In in verse 13, he uses the word both for stumbling block and hindrance. In, In verse 15, he says destruction. There's, there's a seriousness to what he's talking about here. It, it's not just a game and, and might trip them up for a second, but they'll keep running. He says, you need to be really careful here. Might lead to destruction. In other words, I think Paul rightly has this this concern that if we have these Jewish Christians that are here and they have this inclination to thinking that righteous living includes some food restrictions and they see these these Gentile Christians who have a stronger view and a right view of the gospel and its implications in their lives and they're seeing them do this and then all of a sudden like, I'm not sure how to fit this in. They might want to turn back and go to the synagogue, which Paul would say, that's not where we worship God. God has been revealed in Christ Jesus. So if you do not worship Jesus, you're not worshiping the one true living God. And I think he has this real concern that Jewish Christians are seeing some, might see some of these things and turn back and say, well, over here they keep these restrictions, so this must be the way. And so these words are serious and they're meant to warn the strong that even for the weak to go against their conscience and for your view to help them and work in their way for them to go against their conscience is a matter of... That in and of itself, eating itself is not sinful, but it's serious what you do in front of weaker brothers and sisters. The, the conscience, I think we could say, can act in a sense like an anchor. So that it it's, keeps you in a certain place. You have a sense of, of where you can go and where you can't go. And I think Paul's concern is that if you pull up that anchor, then, then all of a sudden the ship can go all over the place. Run into the rocks out in the middle of the sea, can be adrift and moved by all kinds of winds, it can be in great danger. Now, now in my past, I used to show uh, calves. We would teach them how to, like, we'd lead them, we'd put a halter on them and lead them around, and you'd, you'd set them up and you'd show them off, right? And there were some calves that were harder to break on a halter than others. I mean, probably, I don't know, I've never trained a dog on a leash, but I'm assuming it's similar. Like, some dogs are just worse about being led than others, and, and we had this same thing on the farm. And the calves that were especially wild, that wouldn't like either, like we couldn't pull them, or they would run away and like try to rip the like rope out of your hands, uh, if they continued in this and persisted in this, we would then strap them to the burrow, because, I mean, we had a burrow on the farm too. You get strapped to a burrow, and you know, burrows are known for their stubbornness. And, and guess which one out of the calf and the burrow is stronger? The, the burrow is stronger. And guess which, what, what the calf's now going to do? Like You're going to do what the burrow does. You're, you're going to move where the burrow moves, you move. When it wants to get water, that's when you better get water. When it wants to eat, that's when you're going to eat. If it wants you out of the way, you're probably going to move out of the way. And so what these wild calves would do is that they'd learn how to kind of get yanked around. They would learn how to yield to that rope and that halter because they were weaker. Now, it is okay for a calf, I think, because those calves were treated like royalty, trust me. It was okay for them to learn how to get yanked around by anything after being taught by the stronger burrow. But it is dangerous, church, for a person's conscience and convictions and opinions to be formed and yanked around by anything. That conscience and opinions and, opinions and convictions, all those things, they are meant to be tethered to something, tied down to something, yielding to something, yes. But that thing is to be to Scripture alone, not just yanked around by whoever. And the strong, by their practices, can kind of yank the weak around in ways that could leave them open to being adrift, to whoever, to yielding, to whoever, to, to being open now to the thing that they thought was wrong and they're now walking now they're actually internally understanding that I'm a hypocrite, and and so all of a sudden their their conscience is all over the place, their convictions are all over the place, and they're left in a mess. That can leave them open and vulnerable to being accused and excusing things that they shouldn't excuse internally and and externally, right? They can be accused and excused both internally and externally if their conscience has no anchor, is not tethered to the right things. If it's tethered to the strong, it's going to go in ways that will not be helpful to them. It can lead them adrift internally. It can lead them to walking in hypocrisy and and no one can stand under that for long and you're torn apart one commentator says that when human beings begin to act contrary to their consciences they no longer have an anchor for their lives the center no longer holds they are now adrift and subject to the convictions and consciences of others and authentic faith can't survive when one lives on the basis of the convictions of others And because that's true, Paul commands and exhorts the strong, you be careful. You decide to never put a stumbling block in the way of a brother. And both Paul's examples and his exhortation here in these verses help the strong not put a stumbling block in their way. All right, so he holds, I think, in these couple verses, he holds three things rightly. First, he holds a strong view and a right view rightly. Paul has a stronger understanding of the gospel's implications. He has a right view in this situation. He doesn't back off of that view, actually. Look in verse 14. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus. And yet, he gives space to those with a weaker view. Verse 14, he goes on. But if it's it's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean, And if your brother's grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. What does he do with the convictions of the weaker? He bears with them. He is careful with their conscience. He is careful with what he says. He doesn't turn a could. You could walk in this. You could eat meat in the gospel. He doesn't turn that could into a should. You should do this. He doesn't do that. He's not flaunting his right. He's not pushing it. He's not forceful with it but he's strong by a bearing with the weak kind of way. That's what he's doing. He's patient. He's right in the right way. He holds the right view rightly, the strong view rightly. Some of us are right in all the wrong kind of ways. Yeah, we're we're right, but we wield that rightness like a stick and we beat people over the head with it and we hurt them. Yeah, we're right, but we're also a jerk. We're right, but we're not careful. We're right, but we're not loving. We're right, but we're not patient. We pounce on people, we quarrel with people, we're pushy. We flaunt our rights without thinking, maybe this might cause us to be a stumbling block to others and we're putting stumbling blocks in front of others and we're not walking in love. So if you're strong, hold the stronger understanding rightly. Hold the right view rightly. Is that what you're doing? Not just thinking uh, this is right, but in practice, making sure you're carrying out in practice in a way that's not causing stumbling in your brother's or sister's he doesn't just hold the right view rightly, he holds others rightly. Look at, the, look at this view that he has of others here. He upholds their dignity and their honor and the, the importance of the weak here is held up highly with verse 15. He, he's saying to the strong, this is such an important matter and here's why and he dignifies the weak in saying this. Verse 15, by what you eat do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. You've surely seen, as you're driving around, the little caution signs on cars that says, Baby on Board. And they're trying to get your attention. Like, be careful when you're driving around me. Like, don't drive like a maniac, because there's precious cargo here, right? And Paul is saying that too. Hey, strong, don't drive like a maniac here. There's precious cargo around, and we don't want to hurt it. It's fragile, and we want to be careful with it. These are brothers and sisters for whom Christ died. So don't put a stumbling block in their way. Amen. You, you can think of the week's exposure in this chapter as they hear this alongside others. Wouldn't this be a little bit interesting? As Paul writes, they're all probably together, hearing this letter read out loud to all of them, and they just hear something about, like, oh, if I abstain, then I'm weak. <laughs> That'd be weird. Like, are they looking around at this time, like, am I the only one that's weak? And they're, they're hearing all this, and their exposure would have been strange, but, but also would have been comfortable and safe. Because as they're hearing, like, man, Paul disagrees with my position here. He calls me weak here. Also, he's exhorting the strong, saying, you better make room for him. Be careful. All of a sudden, even if I feel a little bit strange for being weak, I'm like, this is a good place to be. Because Paul holds them rightly. If you're strong, do you hold the weak in high regard? Do you hold them up in their best light? Do you outdo Others and showing honor to them? Do you, do you view them as dear brothers and sisters to be loved and not as projects to be fixed? Paul holds others rightly. He also holds back his own rights rightly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, dealing with a similar issue, he says, If eating causes my brother to stumble, I'll just never eat that thing. If, if eating meat's going to cause him to stumble, I'll just never eat meat. And that's kind of what he says here. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. And he certainly wants them to be a church, be a people of God who walk in love. So whether it's meat or whether it's days of the week or drink, nothing are in comparison to what Paul thinks of these Christians, right? In chapter 1, verse 7, he says, These are the saints in Rome who are loved by God. And if they're beloved of God, and if Christ died for them, then we need to make sure we hold our rights rightly in light of who God is and what He has done for them. That is, It's less weighty than those things. Our rights are less weighty than people. It's clear to Paul, he does have the right to eat. Others have the right to eat. But he was also saying, I'm willing to give that up any second for the sake of my brothers and sisters, the beloved of God. Because he wants to walk in love. He holds... His rights rightly. Now, I don't know what this looks like in every scenario. I wish I did. I wish we could give. Here's that one answer. Here's that one way. How do we hold our rights rightly? How do we exercise them and practice them in community rightly? Now, I especially wish that was true because we have to be careful when we're bringing parallels and like what we think, like, hey, what Paul is actually talking about and substitute in something for food. And we have to be careful with the parallels here because their context was very different. And there are not a lot of close parallels with what they exactly were dealing with. But what he does do is he does help all Christians handle different consciences and different views and opinions with these great exhortations. And so what he says here, put no stumbling block in the way of a brother. Walk in love. And so that doesn't give us every scenario, but his writing is forming and shaping the kind of people who will put no stumbling block in front of another. That's what's happening here. It doesn't give us every scenario, but it's forming us in the right kinds of ways. So, Paul's exhortation gives us, and it will do this throughout this passage, it gives us a few questions to ask for our different scenarios. And they're different than their context, but here's a question to ask from verses 13 through 15. And putting no stumbling block in the way Will this put a stumbling block in the way of a brother or sister? That's what he wants us to be thinking about. If you're strong, decide not to do that. Be thinking about, does this put a stumbling block in their way or not? And then proceed. Right? And, and think of the community this is forming. If the strong are the ones who are going to take it on themselves to say, I'm not going to, never going to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother, think about what kind of community that forms. A beautifully diverse community. A lovingly careful community. A, a community that's safe the week that gives time and space for those who have different views. It's compelling then to the outsider who says, wait, you guys are over on different ends of the spectrum here and yet you love each other and you want to be around each other. What's going on there? That's compelling and it's a community that can live ultimately unto the glory of the Lord. It's a community where in a sense it's like heaven has come down here because we don't see this anywhere else. That's the kind of community Paul is forming here. So will my action, will my practice, will my view put a stumbling block in the way of Another Let's be a people who take responsibility and decide, I'm going to never put a stumbling block in the way of a brother or sister. And so with no stumbling block in the way, the community is then free to pursue what they need to pursue. And that's what he goes to next. Free to pursue what makes for peace and upbuilding. Verse 16, he says, Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. We know, verse 6 has told us, what. Wherever you eat or drink, the the one who observes a day, observes it in the honor of the Lord. The the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. That's what he wants, right? All that we do, all of us, all the time is to be to the glory of God, unto the Lord, to bring him honor and praise. It it should be something that we can do and and give thanks to God for it. That's what he wants us to do. And, And Paul knows that everything that is given, he says this in 1 Timothy 4, every Thing created by God is good and nothing is to re- be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving so the strong hey you can eat meat with thanksgiving in your heart you can give honor and glory to God uh, for the things that you're eating but if you eat and it puts a stumbling block in the way of another you're grieving another then you're no longer walking in love and what happens is is that the result of is verse 16 what you regard as good and ultimately is good if it's received rightly can now be spoken of as evil. That's the results. One says that it was, it's, that is a way to unseasonably use God's gifts. If you're eating in a way that would put stumbling block or grief in the way of a brother, you're unseasonably using God's gift and you're thoughtlessly causing offense. Instead, he reminds in verse 17 that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God, this place where where God's people live in right relationship with God under His good reign and His good rule in a way that says this kingdom is already present here but not yet fully. And because that's true, we we worship God now, we obey God now, and we know that we, we are moving in a direction together. And here's what the kingdom of God doesn't need. It doesn't need meat eaters. That's what Paul is saying. You do not have to have meat. And the strong are to be careful with how they do this because the kingdom of God does not consist in these things. It doesn't consist in eating or drinking. So not only can the strong know that's true and be careful with their eating and drinking, but they can positively then move in the direction of completely abstaining because even in their abstaining from meat, that's not detrimental to the kingdom of God either. So their eating is not detrimental to the kingdom, doesn't necessarily advance it. And their abstaining is not detrimental to the kingdom and doesn't necessarily advance it. And so they can go either way. Now, the things that are necessary to the kingdom of God should be done. Right? Whether they give an offense or not. What's necessary to the kingdom of God? Well, gospel proclamation. In order to be in the kingdom, you have to hear and believe. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So that's necessary to the kingdom. You want to be part of the kingdom of God, you need to hear the gospel. That might offend some people. Paul's not concerned about that. He's like, I'm not ashamed of it. We need to get that out there. It's necessary or there is no kingdom of God here on this earth if you don't believe. And so the things that are necessary, you you do them offense or not. But the unnecessary, like eating and drinking, can be restrained or even completely abstained from. And there's no impediment to the kingdom of God whatsoever. He's saying that eating and drinking are no reason to impede the kingdom of God. One commentator said that when questions of food and drink become our chief concern, then it is apparent how far removed from the interests of God's kingdom our thinking and conduct have strayed. How far have we strayed in our thinking and conduct from God's kingdom? Well, when we questions of food and drink as our chief concern, when exercising our right is our chief concern, then we've strayed pretty far. Because what does he say? The kingdom of God, what? Verse 17, is of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit, that the already not yet kingdom of God where the people of God are living right now with one another in relationship to God, right relationship to God, is only by the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he brings these gifts with him. These gifts of righteousness. Paul has talked about righteousness so many times in Romans. You can have right standing, the not guilty verdict before God, the Father who is holy right now by your faith in Jesus. Righteousness. You have that in Christ. What about peace? He says, now that we've been justified by Christ, we now have peace with God. In chapter 8. Verse 6, he says that the the mindset on the spirit is a mind that is peace. The the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Joy, he's only used a, 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 a root word that's the same as joy once in Romans. And he used it in chapter 12, verse 12, when he said, rejoice in hope. How do we have this hope and how can we rejoice in it? Because the Spirit has been given to us as a deposit, as a guarantee of the future glory that is to come. He is guaranteeing that we're going to get there one day. And so the kingdom of God consists of those things, of righteousness, of peace, and joy. But those gifts shouldn't be viewed individually. Like this is just for me. I have righteousness. I have peace. I have joy. Those are meant to be, look at the context here. Those are meant to be viewed in relationship to God and others, one another. We have righteousness with God so we can now move in right living with one another. We have peace with God so now we can have peace with one another and move in peace and pursue peace. We have joy because of our future glory because of the deposit of the Holy Spirit and so now we can rejoice together and have joy in one another because the Holy Spirit dwells in them too. Amen. None of those things are contingent on eating and drinking. Righteousness, peace, joy are not contingent upon eating or drinking. They do require the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit, and if we have verse 17, that the kingdom of God consists in this, then verse 18 he says, well then whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. If the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy, then the strong are going to Get in line to serve Christ and line up their practical lives, their thinking and their practice, their treatment of the weak with that kingdom. And it's not first needed that we have eating or drinking there. But righteousness and peace and joy. And the stronger those who are going to line up with that. And so in a way, verse 18 is verse 16's opposite. Where verse 16, he says, don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Here's kind of flip side of it. When, you, when you're following Christ and you're having the right kind of values of the kingdom of God, then if you serve Christ that way, then you are going to be acceptable to God and approved by men. The, the outsiders and even weak believers in your midst, they will have no reason left for, for speaking disapprovingly of what you're doing. And outsiders included So then he says, if that's all true, verse 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. The the strong aren't to pursue an agenda of their own making, They're, they're not to pursue the agenda of making eating okay within the community of Christ. Like, we know the gospel and here's its implications, and so my agenda becomes you need to be free to eat. Can't you get it? It's not what the strong are to pursue. They don't just need to pursue the weak getting it all figured out. They're to pursue peace. They aren't to pursue self-satisfaction and just enjoying their freedoms however they want to enjoy them. They're to pursue the upbuilding of others. And if others are furthered by their laying down their rights, then the strong should say, I'm all for that. If I can be making for peace and build them up by just abstaining or eating, I am so willing. If you can make for peace by not drinking something, you're willing to pursue that thing. I know on the football field, there are some stronger and weaker players. And the stronger players are normally large with bigger numbers, right? They're the linemen. They are the strong. And, and what they do is the strong come along and they are paving the way for the weaker brother to follow behind them and run in freedom. And that's what the strong are to do. That They are leaving other duties and they're directed at what can I take out in order so that they can run free and run far. And I will lay down even my body physically, even my strength physically in order for them to be able to, to get there. And that's what the strong are to pursue. That The pursuit isn't for, for what all they're free to do. The the linemen could be free to run all over the field, but that's not going to be very helpful for everybody. That's actually not going to make for peace for their weaker brother that's behind them, waiting, waiting for them to knock somebody out. So the strong don't pursue just whatever they're free to do. They do what's for others' good. They're they're looking toward edification, the building up of others, not self-satisfaction. The strong are those who are the ones who are actually freed up within their conscience to go either way. I can abstain or I can eat. I I can go either way because I'm okay within my conscience to do this. And they know that it's an actual pursuit. You, You don't just go and arrive. You continue to pursue it. it it's a process they are the ones who should know it's a process if you're strong you know guess what you got strong by time by people giving you space by people bearing with you when you were weak you don't just jump into the kingdom of god by the holy spirit and you're strong you you get worked up into that and so the strong know it's a process it takes time think of the construction site what does it start with the bulldozer we need the strong to come in first and start moving things out of the way before the smaller details get put together. It takes time, and it starts with the big trucks. And the strong are to pursue the building. And sometimes that's going to take, a, you know, like we're going to clear some land, and sometimes it's going to take detail later on, little things. But it's a process, and it takes time. And the upbuilding is literally that, like we're brick by Brick. Piece by piece, we're trying to put this thing together. We're not coming in and we're doing a total demolition all the way right at the beginning. That could be a stumbling block. That could be, you know, like if you've done a total remodel in your house, you can know how big of a problem that could be. Like, it could be a problem, right? We don't start there. And the strong are the ones who take it on themselves to make sure that they're pursuing the right kind of things. I'm going to pursue what makes for peace and upbuilding. Is that what we're after? If the kingdom of God we're a matter of eating and drinking, then maybe we think about these things differently. But the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy. And the work of the kingdom of God is, is evangelism. We need to get the gospel out, offense or no. And it's edification. We need to build one another up. So we're careful with our offenses. Evangelism, we go, offense or not, although we're not trying to put any hindrances needfully there. But with edification and the building of one another up, we're very careful with what would cause an offense because we don't want to be a stumbling block to a brother. It's on the strong to pursue peace and edification, not the weak. The strong are the free, internally and externally, to pursue these things, because they're not in their conscience bound to not eat or to eat. They are then the ones who can be careful and pursue, to look out for the weak. The strong are those who should be able to say with Paul, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, that rather I eat or not eat, it's okay. Because all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And all things are lawful, but not all things build up. And the strong are those who want to help. They want to build up. They want to pursue peace and what builds others up. And so they pursue those things. Calvin said it this way, there's nothing plainer than this rule. That we are to use our liberty, if it tends to the edification of our neighbor, but if inexpedient, not helpful, not for building up for our neighbor, abstain from it. There, there's, that's simple. Will it help? Do it. If it won't help, don't do it. Pretty good rule. And so that adds, alright, we have the first question. Will this put a stumbling block? Here's the second question. So whether we eat, whether we don't, whether we exercise our freedom, whether we don't, will this pursue edification? Will this pursue the upbuilding of my brother or sister? Will this pursue what makes for peace in our midst as a gospel people? Again, that doesn't give us the answer for every scenario, does it? We wish that we knew. But it does give us another layer. He's layered some things. Now he's layering something else. Like, okay, stumbling block. Now here's another layer. Another layer is, will this pursue what will build them up and make for peace? We don't always know those things, but it will help us work through our differences and our different practices and opinions and consciences. Perhaps the strong needed a, a summary statement, almost a rephrasing of the encouragement and exhortation he's given. So he, he jumps back from in verse twenty to what he's already said in verse fifteen. He says, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone who makes another stumble by what he eats. It's not good, or it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And the the nuanced view that he takes in verse 21 is helpful. I notice what he says eating, that's good. No problem there. Eating or drinking. I think he adds wine in there. It's kind of random, but maybe it's because, again, religious practice and purification, they thought this was tied somehow to righteous living. Eating, drinking, that's good. Here's what's bad to make another stumble. Doing nothing that makes another stumble, that's good. So notice how he nuances it. I get eating of itself, that's, that's okay. Stumbling block, that's not okay. And doing nothing that would cause another to stumble, that's really okay. So he says, walk in love. Abstain where it's needed in order to not ca- cause of a brother. Notice there, again, familial term, family member, to stumble. But Paul doesn't envision a community where the strongest practices and convictions are merely dictated by the conscience of the weak. And maybe that's why Paul adds here. Maybe he's thinking like, man, the weak are going to not, or the strong are not going to like me here. Because I keep telling them like you should just forget about your rights and move on. Look what he says in verse 22. That the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. It's implied, again, that one can eat or drink with faith. But that faith, the faith that, that can move out of dependence and reliance upon God, isn't flaunted it isn't paraded. It isn't pushed on the weak. He, he says, between you and God. It, it's a faith that's considerate of others. It's a faith where the practice of eating can be done with faith, and it can be done in private, and that be okay. Like, you can abstain where it's prudent. You can take where it's prudent. You're not necessarily dictated by the weak all the time. You, you can, in private, partake by faith. In verse 22, he continues. Says, Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts in it is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. Right, verse 5, he said we need to be fully convinced. Each one in his own mind. Because we have this God who is also the judge. But he says if, if you can eat with a clean conscience, then you're in this blessed place. He's speaking of having a clear conscience before the holy judge. And if you have that clear conscience, while you eat or not eat, then that's a place not to move from. Don't move from it unless you have, I have no reason not to think that this is okay or I'm fully convinced in my own mind because what Paul ultimately wants, whether you're strong or weak, is what he says at the end of verse 23, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Paul doesn't envision the strong's life being fully and completely dictated by the conscience of the weak, but he does envision that the strong's life is dictated by faith. By their life with God. By their trust and reliance upon God. That's what faith is. It's a reliance upon God. It's a trust in God. It's a resting in God. Paul wants all of their life, whether they eat or drink, in public or private, to flow from faith. And that faith that he's talking about here, notice it's both an outward and an inward reality. Outwardly, it's practiced in the right kind of way. To not put a stumbling block, to pursue what makes for peace. But inwardly, it's also proceeding from faith, that my conscience is clear before God. It comes out in both practice and your conscience. So if you can't eat in faith, if conscience says not to, so don't eat. You can't eat in faith if it puts a stumbling block in the way of a brother. So don't eat in that case. You, you can't drink in faith if it doesn't pursue for edification and peace. You can't drink in faith if you can't give thanks to God for it and do it unto the Lord for his glory. And so he, he says if any of those things qualify, then you're not proceeding from faith. And whatever doesn't proceed from faith is, is sin. Amen. So with verse 23 he expands, but here's the next layer, right? He adds that third question. He gives us a layer to how we address all of our different practices with all of our different convictions. He can ask us this, right? Does does this thing that I'm doing proceed from faith or not? Does this thing, eating, drinking, whatever it is, does it flow from and show forth my reliance and trust and rest in God? And if not, here's what he says. It's simple. It's sin. Now, maybe you're like me, and okay, we've got to the end of this, and man, just wish there was a little more detail. Because you've probably already got that scenario in your mind where it's like, well, what about in this case? And I can't help you. (laughs) More direct answers might be beneficial to us in some ways, might be helpful to all the difficulties that come up in the midst of diverse communities. There are difficult questions, hard things to walk through. But I think to rightly hear and heed these words where he doesn't necessarily give us the right answers is still helpful because while he doesn't give us all the the right answers for all of our different scenarios and questions, what he is doing again is he is shaping and forming the right kind of people, a people where there's all kinds of diversity and it's complex. And it would take a lot to write out every single scenario. And he gives us something better. He's forming us into the kind of people that can walk through these things together and be a community that's still unified and living unto the glory of God. Yeah, there's complexity here to be sure. There are layers here to walking in love. But all of those layers and all the complexity all together are meant to add up together to be part of the beauty. See, the the people of God, the the church, the local church, this community of faith is not just to be a community that's just comprised of the strong. It's meant to be a community that's mixed in all kinds of ways and we're moving toward our destination. And in the midst of that strong and weak and mixture of a community, what we can still have in all of that is a beautiful community. And that, that's what Paul's after, that we would be a people, strong and weak, with diversity all over the place, be a people who are totally a people unto the Lord, beautiful to him, beautiful to the world. And let's work and decide to not put a stumbling block in the way of another so we could be a beautiful people. Let's pursue what makes for peace and up- upbuilding so that we could be a beautiful people together. Let's let all that we do proceed from faith. Would you pray with me?
2: Lord this sermon we heard this morning makes perfect sense it's not hard to understand that you desire that love rule and reign in the hearts of your people But Lord, it is really hard when we leave this place, especially to put this into practice. We are prideful, we're selfish, we're stubborn, we're set in our ways, we've formed our opinions, and it's just so easy for us to look around. And instead of viewing our brothers and sisters in love, Lord, we, we view them as less than us if they don't agree. With these opinions we've formed and these convictions that we've formed god help us to put off ourselves and to put on christ help us to be a witness to this world and how we yield to one another and consider each other father we don't want to put stumbling blocks in the way of our brothers and sisters, we want to promote unity and upbuilding we want to be agents and mediums Lord that are used by you to strengthen each other and not to cause each other to stumble God we need your wisdom in this we need discipline in this Lord we need to learn better what it looks like to put off ourselves and our own comforts and our own opinions and Just allow love to reign. God, we're thankful that you are so clear in your word and that you give us such specific instruction. It's such a grace, Lord. And while we might not know all the the applications and every realm which this applies, Father, we know that your spirit lives in us and that you go with us as we leave this place into all the different circumstances and settings that we'll we'll encounter and i just pray that you give us ears to listen to your spirit as you guide us into loving relationships and as you teach us how to love others the way you've loved us it's in christ's name we pray amen